Romans 6, open before you. Last week we were over in Newtonards at the presbytery service. Um, I, I did have a wee peek, I have to say, to see if, if some Hamilton Road people were there or if I was there on my own. Uh, it was great to see so many of you there. I was, I was tempted at one point when I got up to pray to, to ask for a show of hands who had come from what church, because I thought we were pretty strong, uh, but, but I, I resisted that. It was great to, to be there together and uh, with our friends from the Arts Presbytery. Just a, a quick reminder, something I didn't mention this morning is that our book-by-book book group will meet this evening in the multi-purpose room after this service during coffee time. Uh, we're going to have a look at the book of Exodus together. Just before we come into to Romans 6, uh, let's pray. Father God, we've just been singing whom the sun sets free always free indeed. I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. Lord, your word teaches that it is for freedom that you have set us free. Uh, Lord, we, we struggle to, to live free lives. Uh, we find ourselves enslaved to all sorts of things and the wrong sorts of things. So we pray that as we're in your word this evening, we'd understand uh, truly what it is that you've set us free from and what it is that you've set us free for. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're back in Romans, uh, this letter which Paul has written to a church that he didn't found, a church that he's never visited, but a church that he wants to go and establish a relationship with he, he wants to get to know the believers in Rome. He wants them to become part of his, his team, if you like. Um, he wants to become one of their mission partners to get onto their uh, mission committee's radar and to be sent by them further west in the Mediterranean uh, or way over to Spain. So as he writes to them, he tells them of the, the gospel the gospel that he's been preaching all his, his saved life, the, the gospel he's preached all over the, the Mediterranean. So in, in, on the one hand, he preaches the gospel as he would preach it for anyone because Paul doesn't change the gospel to suit his audience. So on the one hand, it's, it's just the, the one gospel. But on the other hand, as we read the letter, we're going to find that he will address issues that he becomes aware of in the community in Rome. And, and his particular concern is the unity of Jew and Gentile in the house churches there in Rome. And that's why we've called this series uh, One Gospel, One People, uh, the, the, the letter of Paul to the Romans. The opening chapters Paul begins the letter by showing these folks what they have in common. Normally, when you show people what they have in common, you want to show them good things that they have in common, but he, he doesn't do that. He starts by showing them the difficult thing that they have in common. They have their sin in common. Jew and Gentile alike, all, he says, have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. They have God's grace in common. This righteousness which is from God is for all Jew and Gentile alike, 
can and must be justified by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. In the opening half of chapter 5, Paul reassures the Romans that their faith in, in Jesus, which has justified them before God, will save them from his wrath. So that opening half of the chapter, he, he wants them to know peace with God and hope for their future. In the second half of chapter 5, he explains that their faith in, in Jesus has resulted in a, in a switch of allegiance. You might remember this. He talked about how every human being is related to one of two men. Every human being at their birth is related to Adam. They're related to Adam. We're related to Adam in our sin and we're destined to death. But in the gospel, by the grace of God, we can be related to the new Adam, to Jesus Christ, who leads us from death into life. And we saw at the end of chapter 5 that sin, even large amounts of sin, can't stop the redeeming work of God. Where sin increased, Paul says, chapter 5, verse 20, grace increased all the more. Chapter 6, the chapter we've dealt with uh, two weeks ago and then again this evening, is split in the NIV into two parts, and it's easy to see why. Have a look. Each of the parts begins with a question. Verse 1 and verse 15. The questions are similar, but they ultimately explore the, the same issue in just a slightly different way. Verse 1, it's a question of sinning in order to gain more grace. If my grace leads to God, or my sinning, sorry, leads to God pouring out more grace, then surely there's no problem with me keeping sinning. It gives God the opportunity to pour out more of his grace. The more I sin, the more grace. No way, says Paul in the opening half of the chapter. Don't you know that you're, you're in a union now with Christ? You've died with him to your sin. You've been raised with him to eternal life. Now live as if that were true because it is. Those closing verses of the first half of the chapter, he tells us what we need to do to, in response to our union to Christ. What, what's our part in this? He says, count yourselves dead to sin. Don't let sin reign in your body. Don't offer any part of yourself to sin, but rather offer yourselves to God. Offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. So in answer to the first question, shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase, says, Paul says, no way. You are dead to sin. Notice how he completes that answer to the first question, verse 14. He says, sin shall no longer be your master because you're not under the law, but under grace. When he describes sin there as a, a master, Paul introduces the reader to the theme that's going to take up the second half of the chapter from verses 15 to 23. This passage, which we're going to look at this evening, Paul invites the believers in Rome to consider the question, who is your master? Or, in the language of the verses, the, the word master doesn't actually crop up very often. 
he invites the readers to consider the question from their point of view, whose slaves will you be? The passage is very clearly about slavery. The NIV heading tells us that, and they've got that right. If you're using your journal, put a, word, or put a ring around the word slave or slaves in the paragraph. I counted nine in nine short verses. This is all about slavery. So the NIV tells us, the title tells us that we should be expecting to learn here about our life with God in terms of this metaphor of slavery. The question Paul's dealing with in this section, in verse one, he was dealing with a question that had to do with sinning in order to gain more grace. The question in verse 15 has to, to do with sinning because of grace. What then? Shall we sin because we're not under the law, but under grace? What's he really asking there? What's the question? He's asking, if we're no longer bound by the law, then we're free. Is it okay to use that freedom to sin? In this paragraph, Paul will show us that the Christian's freedom from sin is not a freedom to sin. Paul is walking a, a narrow path here between, there, there are twin dangers either side. There's the danger of legalism on the one hand and license on the other. He, he's making it clear that Christians are no longer bound by the Mosaic law. But at the same time, he's stressing that they are bound to obey their new master, God, or God's righteousness. We're going to look at this passage under three uh, headings just now. We've all got a master, verses 15 and 16. In Christ, we have a new master, verses 17 to 20. And life under the new master, verses 21 to 23. First of all, this idea that we've all got a master. As I've been preparing for this evening, I found help in an unusual quarter in the lyrics of Bob Dylan. He won a Grammy Award for the opening track on his 1979 album, Slow Train Coming, on which he sang these words. You may be an ambassador to England or France. You may like to gamble. You may like to dance. You may be the heavyweight champion of the world. You may be a socialite with a long string of pearls, but you're going to have to serve somebody. Yes, indeed. You're going to have to serve somebody. Well, it may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. The chorus gives us the song title, Gotta Serve Somebody. If you listen to the whole song, he goes on to confront any number of different types of people from all walks of life with this same truth. Whether you're high or low, rich or poor, you're going to have to serve somebody. We've all got a master. Let's leave the, the songs to Bob Dylan and come back to Paul for the gospel. Paul sets about answering the question of verse 15, shall we sin 
because we're not under the law but under grace. And, and at that point, by the way, he's reaching back to the previous, chap, previous paragraph, verse 14. He says, for sin shall no longer be your master because you're not under the law but under grace. Where's this question in verse 15 coming from? Well, if you read verse 14, you can imagine some of the Christians in Rome saying, brilliant, brilliant. We're not under the law. We're free. We can do what we like. That idea might have troubled some of the Jewish believers who had grown up under the law. And at the same time, it might have excited some of the Gentile believers who had grown up free from the requirements of the law. We can follow Jesus without adjusting our immoral pagan lifestyles. Paul refutes that idea with his usual force. By no means, no way. And Paul begins by dispelling the notion that being set free from the Jewish law results in a person being free, entirely free. He shows us that there's no such thing as human autonomy. The notion that any one of us can be entirely free from outside influences and from other powers is an illusion. Don't you know, he said, when you offer yourselves to someone as an obedient slave, you are slaves to the one you obey, whether you're slaves of sin, which leads to death, or righteousness, which, obedience, sorry, which leads to righteousness. We're either under the power of sin, says Paul, or under the power of God. The question then isn't maybe what we thought it was. We, we thought the question was, will I have a master or will I be free? According to Paul, that's not the right question. Paul assumes with Bob Dylan that we have all got a master, that we're going to have to serve somebody. The question is, which master will I serve? Will I continue to serve sin, which leads to death? Or will I serve the living God who will lead me into life? Paul uses an interesting phrase. He talks about offering ourselves to someone as an obedient slave. He's talking about something that the Christians in Rome would have been aware of even before their conversion to Christ. If we habitually present ourselves to someone or something, we become slaves of that person or thing to which we present ourselves. Ask the woman in the abusive relationship who just always keeps coming back. Ask the addict enslaved by drink or drugs always dreaming of the next hit. Ask the pornographer always going back for just one more click. Becoming a Christian doesn't magically free us from sin's addictive powers. We've been set free from the penalty of sin and the power of sin by our union with Christ. But we need to recognize that if we choose constantly to yield ourselves to sin, to offer ourselves over to sin, we'll effectively remain enslaved by sin. Folks, this is worth reflecting on a, a little bit further. 
Uh, we talked a little bit about this a couple of months ago in our Deuteronomy series. We were trying to work out uh, the place of law in the life of God's people. We, we discovered that actually God's law is given to us to help us stay free. These escaped slaves who'd been set free from Egypt, they needed laws, God's good laws, to help them to stay free. We have freedoms in our culture that we live in today that most people who live on this planet could never have dreamed of. We're free to eat what we want anytime we like, 24-7 McDonald's and just eat. We're free to watch what we want, Netflix, Amazon Prime, and hundreds of channels. Free to sleep with whoever we want, any man or woman or person who doesn't identify as one or the other. Free to be who we want as we put up our social media posts. Isn't that the beauty of Facebook and Instagram? I can be this person today and that person tomorrow and free. We have more freedom than we've ever had before. And, and as a pastor, I, I just watch what, what happens. What's happening to us? I, I live in a generation that maybe a historian will tell me I'm wrong, but I live in a generation where we talk more about depression, about desperation, about mental health, about escalating suicide rates. I don't remember hearing that when I was a kid 40 years ago the way I hear it now. We're free, but we're not finding life. We're free, but we're using our freedom to create a culture of death. One commentator in this passage, Douglas Moo, he said, non-Christians who think they're free are under an illusion created and sustained by Satan. The choice with which people are faced is not, should I retain my freedom or give it up and submit to God? The choice is rather, should I serve sin, which leads to death, or serve God, who will bring me to life? Folks, remember, Paul's writing at this point to, to believers his audience, this isn't an evangelistic tract. This is to the church in Rome. He wants to warn us that even though we have new life in Christ, we need to remember not to submit ourselves routinely to sin or it will enslave us. It will keep us under its power. Don't do that, says Paul. So Paul's answering this question raised in verse 15, shall we sin because we're not under the law, but under grace? Uh, and he does that by pointing out that while we've been set free from slavery to sin and the law, we're not free to do whatever we like. We've got a master. His second point, which he makes in verses 17 to 20, is that we have a new master in Christ we know who our new master is. Look at verse 17. Paul talks about a change that's occurred for these Christians in Rome. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you've come to obey from your heart 
the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You've been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. You've switched allegiances. You were slaves to sin, now you're slaves to righteousness. Notice that Paul talks about freedom here in verse 18. You have been set free from sin. Uh, freedom is a very powerful and emotive word in our culture. But it meant something different for Paul than it would mean for us uh, and for our neighbors today. Freedom for Paul isn't primarily about being set free from an abusive spouse or an unscrupulous employer. It's not about being set free from bigotry or oppression. Paul would be glad to see all of those things because he's interested, as are all of the people in God, of God, to, to see people flourishing under God's shalom, his, his great well-being that he longs for for all of us. Of, of course, Paul would want that. But when Paul's talking about freedom here in Romans and being set free, he's thinking about being set free from the enslaving power of sin. The, the, the power that Satan exercises over us, the power of sin and death that prevents a person from becoming the beautiful human being that God intends them to be. It's only by knowing God's truth and doing God's will that we can be set free. That's what Jesus told us in John 8. If you hold to my teaching, then you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. If the Son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. That's what we sang just before we came to God's Word. This takes a bit of getting your head around, doesn't it? Let's call it the paradox of Christian freedom. Christian freedom is at the same time a form of slavery. Being bound to God and to his will is the thing that allows me to escape sin and the slavery it would have over me. Becoming a slave to God allows me to become the freest person I could ever be, the person God created me to be. I want to stick with these verses for just a moment. As I was in the text this week, I, I, I saw Paul raise a lovely possibility for us, and I don't want you to miss it. He reminds the, the Roman believers of their lives in slavery to sin, verse 19, just before they met Christ. You used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness. We've already talked about this. If we offer ourselves repeatedly to sin, sin tends to be addictive. So that when, when we live this way, we live in a downward spiral. Maybe you've seen it in the life of a friend or a family member. Maybe you've known it yourself. The drunk needs more drink. The druggie's always looking for a bigger hit. The pornographer needs more and more extreme porn to satisfy his or her addiction. 
when we offer ourselves to sin, we slide into ever-increasing wickedness. Paul challenges the person who's in Christ to be pursuing ever-increasing virtue. Just as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity, so offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness, leading to holiness. In God's purposes, we can become addicted to good. As we offer ourselves to God's spirit, he transforms us and he invites us into an upward spiral. The Holy Spirit longs to make us holy ever-increasing holiness, addictive holiness. This is what God wants for you and for me. God wants us to pursue his glorious righteousness with the same single-minded dedication with which we once pursued the idols of, of pleasure and of money, of sex and of power. Wouldn't that be great? If, if rather than being people who said, I've overcome my appetites to sin and said, I'll live a life without appetite. We said, I've developed new appetites. I've got new hungers. I've got things that I'm longing for. One last thing in verses 17 to 20 before we move on. We're thinking how in Christ we have a new master. I don't know whether you noticed it whether it caught your eye. Do you see what Paul thinks of all this? This truth that he and the Romans and anyone else who's responding to the gospel in faith has been set free from sin and bound to Christ. Look at verse 17. Thanks be to God. It's a shout of praise. Having a new master, it's a cause for celebration and gratitude. I... I really needed this text to, to show me that this week. I, I sometimes wonder whether those of us who are in Christ, especially if we've been in Christ a long time, forget what a privilege it is. We forget what it was like to serve the old master. Come with me on a pastoral visit to a person who is struggling with addiction, alcohol or drugs or whatever it is. There's nothing as hopeless as a person who's stuck when the slavery of the old master is still strong. How cruel a master they serve. Or let's knock on this door by the look of their house and their car and all we can see. This person seems to have it all. Everything they, that this life offers in terms of money and success and popularity. And yet, in the quiet of their own home, when you get talking to them, they'll tell you how they're really feeling. I have no contentment. I can't find any peace. To be honest, I can't find a reason to keep going. Their relentless pursuit of success, keeping up appearances, it's left them hollowed out and empty. What a cruel master 
they serve. If we are in Christ, we serve the best master. We can be full of joy. As you've probably gathered listening to me preaching, I illustrate far and wide. I could pull anything into a sermon. At this point, I want to take you to the world of Harry Potter. If you've never read or watched Harry Potter, you won't be familiar with Dobby. Dobby is a house elf. Don't worry too much about what a house elf is. Dobby is a house elf who's entirely committed to his master, Harry Potter. At one point in the second novel, The Chamber of Secrets, Harry pushes Dobby on why he's so committed to him. And Dobby speaks on behalf of all house elves and he says, ah, if Harry Potter only knew, if he knew what he means to us, to the lowly, the enslaved, us dregs of the magical world. He goes on to explain how he and the house elves have suffered under the evil Lord Voldemort until Harry Potter came. Life has improved for my kind since you triumphed over the dark Lord's power and broke him. It was a new dawn, sir, and Harry Potter shone like a beacon of hope for those who thought the dark days would never end. Brothers and sisters, if you know or remember what it was like to be a slave, if you have people near you who still are slaves, then perhaps like me, you'll celebrate that we have a new master. We have the best master. Let's never forget it. Let's never forget about how our lives are so much better since Jesus Christ rescued us from Satan's clutches and since he set us free to live under his gracious rule and reign. Thanks be to God. So Paul's answering this question, verse 15. Shall we sin because we're not under the law but under grace? So far he's pointed out that we're either slaves to sin or to God, that we've all got a master. He's pointed out that all those who have trusted in Christ have now become slaves to righteousness. We have a new master in Christ. We're going to spend our last few moments in verses 21 to 23 learning a little about life under the new master. Have a quick look at those verses. In verses 21 and 22, Paul simply contrasts our life before Christ as slaves to sin, which results in death, and our life in Christ as slaves to God, which results in eternal life. And then he gives us one of the most famous verses in this whole letter. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Romans 6.23 is one of the stops on the Romans road. Does anybody know the Romans road? Know what I'm talking about? 
it's a, a thing somebody came up with years ago where you learn a few verses of Romans and it gives you a, a sort of a, a, a way of explaining the gospel to people. It was one of those things you could try to, try to collapse the argument of Romans and, and hold it in your head. The way I learned it, the first stop was Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That was stop number one on the Romans road. That's true enough and an important truth, but it's not the whole truth and it's not, not the truth of Paul's letter to the Romans because it misses out the context of the letter. Paul says, there is no difference between Jew and Gentile for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So it's a truth, but it, it misses a little. Romans 6.23 was the second stop on the Romans road that I learned. But like 3.23, it suffers when we take it out of context. Because we don't see, when we just read that verse, that it's the culmination of Paul's teaching about these two masters. Look at the verse now and notice how it contrasts life under the new master with life under the old. There are three contrasts in all. There's the master we serve, it's sin or God. There's the outcome of our service, it's death or life. And then there's the, the, the thing that's fresh in, in verse 23, the terms on which service to these two slave owners operates. It's either a wage earned or a gift received. Let me tell you this evening, in case you doubt it. Sin is a very fair master. When sin is our master, we get what we deserve. We get the very wage that our works, our deeds, our lives entitle us to. We get death when sin is our master. And let me tell you this evening, in case you doubt it, God is not a fair master. Thanks be to God, he's not fair. Because if he was, he'd give me what I deserve. He's not fair. He's full of grace and mercy. So he gives me what I don't deserve. He gives Jesus what I deserve. As he's nailed to a cross. And he gives me everything that Jesus is and has. The gift of his grace, eternal life. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. Through Christ Jesus our Lord. Now that we've come to the end of chapter 6, we'll do well to see how far we've come. Paul's answered these two almost identical questions in verses 1 and 15. Shall we go on sinning? Shall we sin? That's the question that Paul faced time and time again as he preached this gospel of grace by faith apart from works of the law. 
Remember now how Paul has answered these two questions. In the first half of the chapter, he says, no, we shall not go on sinning because we're united now with Christ. That's his first answer. In the second half of the chapter, he says, no, we shall not sin because we have a new master. We're slaves to God. Yes, I've been saved by grace. Yes, I've been set free from the power of sin and the curse of the law. No, I will not persist in my sin and presume upon grace. That's not who I am. In his commentary on Romans, John Stott offers this sound advice. He says, in practice, we should constantly be reminding ourselves who we are. We need to learn to talk to ourselves, to ask ourselves questions. Don't you know? Don't you know the meaning of your conversion and baptism? Don't you know that you've been united to Christ in his death and resurrection? Don't you know that you have been enslaved to God and committed yourself to his obedience? Don't you know these things? Don't you know who you are? We must go on pressing ourselves with such questions until we reply to ourselves, yes, I do know who I am. A new person in Christ and by the grace of God, I shall live accordingly. A few weeks after I was born on the 28th of May, 1972, the Duke of Windsor, the uncrowned King Edward VIII, died in Paris. That evening, a TV uh, program rehearsed the main events of his life. It recalled his boyhood as the Prince of Wales. And he said, recalling his boyhood as the Prince of Wales, he said, my father, King George V, was a strict disciplinarian. Sometimes when I'd done something wrong, he would admonish me, saying, my dear boy, you must always remember who you are. Folks, it seems to me like our loving Father would say something similar to us this evening. My dear child, you must always remember who you are. Let us pray.